The Shy Chat Podcast, stories that connect. Hey KPMG, my name is Houston Staub. I'm a manager here in our audit practice in Chicago. I will be taking over as host of the Shy Chat Podcast. I'm super excited as well as nervous, but I'm hoping to learn a lot. Hope you will all learn a lot, and if you're all willing to be a little patient with me, we are going to hear some awesome stories and possibly be entertained a little. With that being said, our guest today is Kevin Lovell. Kevin is a manager in our advisory practice, and he's here to talk to us today about his 20 plus years in the Army and how he thinks his deployments to Afghanistan and Bosnia helped him prepare for a career at KPMG. Kevin, welcome to the Shy Chat Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for your service. You're uh, an Army vet, I understand. So I also understand you're part of our Pandemic Response Committee um, over the last 16 months or so. Um, you've rolled off over recent months. And for the listeners who are unfamiliar with the Pandemic Response Committee, I'll refer to it as the PRC. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what its objective was and then talk about what your role was and your day-to-day work within the PRC. Sure. So the Pandemic Response Committee was stood up in early March 2020. So we could, one, uh, identify ways where we could uh, ensure the safety uh, and, and health of our employees while meeting our contractual commitments to our clients uh, and maintaining our place in the profession and in the marketplace. I had the privilege to serve in the project management office under Wayne Miracle uh, from March, uh, from its inception all the way to the end of July of 2021 when I rolled off. My responsibilities included assigning work uh, at various at various times to the different project managers assigned to one of six different work streams, uh, providing quality control on different documents that we produced. So who would you say on, on the corporate side of, of KPMG were you most in discussion with on a daily basis? Uh, Darren Burton had, had delegated the responsibility and the authority to a core team of subject matter professionals that represented several different functions, including risk management, uh, the Office of General Counsel, uh, human resources, uh, the three major uh, practices in tax audit and advisory, uh, and a couple of other uh, key functions uh, and staff elements uh, that help run the the firm on a daily daily basis. So as as I hear you kind of talk about all these people and groups you're talking to, there's a lot of different groups you're talking to, right? And I mean, the, the first thing I think of, like, that's a lot of logistics and communication that's necessary. Was that the biggest challenge or what would you say was your biggest challenge in this role? The element that that had me concerned the most, that was the biggest challenge, was uh, the fact that there was a mortality rate that was involved in this effort. Uh, you, you mentioned my military service. I was fortunate enough to, to serve with uh, some of America's finest sons and daughters, and that included a year-long deployment to Iraq. And I had shared with Kelly Fontenot, the, the national director for transformation delivery, that I had not been as concerned uh, or as anxious on a project that uh, that deployment from 2008 to 2009 because there was a mortality component that was that was involved if we made the wrong call if we had 
improper or incomplete analysis, if we used uh, incomplete or incorrect information and data that would lead to recommendations and decisions that could lead to uh, members of our team, right, uh, the KPMG team getting infected, and at the time there was a 1% to 2% mortality rate across the nation for, for all infections. Yeah. I mean, so th- that makes me think, like, what do you, what did you guys judge as your success meter? Yeah. You know, hum- the human resources office, right, and staff section uh, tracked all the self-reports, right, and the contact traces. And, and that was, uh, those were metrics that were close hold, um, meaning that they weren't publicly shared or, or they weren't public knowledge. But I think our, you know, I harken back uh, to our, our two guiding principles, right? What what is it going to take for us to make sure that we can ensure our employee safety? And where are the areas, where are the smart places we can go to get information, to conduct research? And, and right away, we reached out to, uh, to a doctor and to st- staff at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, we also looked to the Center for Disease Control and their guidance around the Midwest, around the nation. We also looked to what uh, the local departments of health and human services uh, we're enacting from a state, county, and city level. So a lot of data that we needed to consume and take into account across all of the dimensions that I mentioned before, all those different work streams. You, you make you you spike a new question in me because you're an engineer by trade. You're an engineer in the army, and then um, you know with all of this experts in logistics that you kind of brought to KPMG. But now you're dealing with doctors, epidemiologists. What was like something outside of that that you maybe learned, whether it be about pandemics, diseases, economics? I think the the biggest thing that if I were to that I learned that was net new really was the impact uh, and the ability for the medical community to expand and contract. And and what I specifically mean by that, we'd often hear these numbers about. Uh, ICU beds, right? Intensive care unit bed numbers were always between 85% and 90. And and at first we tied one of our metrics uh, for our decision making to what's the ICU bed capacity. And we, we thought that if uh, the ICU bed capacity fell below uh, a certain number or their fill rate, right? So the number of beds that are filled, if it got below 90%, meaning that there were more than 10% available and then more than 15% available and then more than 20, that that was a symbol of improvement in an area. But what we found is that hospitals are businesses and they will decommission ICU beds to save on costs and then flex them rapidly to increase their capacity as they need. So it wasn't a fixed number. In each one of these hospitals, the ICU bed capacity wasn't a fixed number, so you just couldn't use a straight line percentage. It makes me want to take a step back, Kevin, yeah. and kind of talk about your background. So you were born and raised in Chicago. Yes. You Cubs or White Sox? Cubs. Cubs. Then you went to Marquette University, joined the ROTC. Yes. Um, joined the U.S. Army as an engineer. Like I said, for deployments, you spent some time working in the Pentagon in business transformation. And then in May 2019, you started with KPMG. Um, and less than 12 months later, <laughs> a completely different role that you did not expect. So taking a whole life's uh, picture there, if you had to pick you know, or focus on one to three experiences in your time in the Army there 
um, that kind of remind you of the role at the firm, you know, what would those experiences be? Sure. So the most important thing we do is lead, right? And leadership is a process of influence. A neighbor of mine who was a lieutenant colonel and a battalion commander in the 4th Infantry Division, who I deployed with to Iraq, uh, I had the opportunity to sit through one of his, uh, his board meetings, his command and staff, as we call them. And he talked about, look, to lead by example, you have to know the standard. And then you have to live the standard. You have to enforce the standard when, when people fail to live up to that. And, and that's in every little thing from setting up a room before a face-to-face engagement by uh, managing directors and partners, right, to making sure that the IT is all is taken care of and, and you're connected and you're all dialed in, uh, that there's a, a standard that we expect people to hold themselves to in the execution of their day-to-day responsibilities and, quite frankly, in the conduct of their persons uh, both at work and after. Uh, th- there was no off-duty, right? As a as a military officer, you were expected, and I'm going to date myself here and be a little uh, old-fashioned, you were, you were expected to conduct yourself as a gentleman and a lady all the time, which meant really treating people with dignity and respect. Yeah, so really from there, you know, I see you're basically large parallel with the leadership, right? And a lot of overlap with the kind of leaders you're seeing in our firm versus, you know, the leaders you worked under. And at least in the KPMG accounting world, we've always, I wouldn't want to say one of our mantras, but we always say we're not saving lives, you know, when we're working 70 hours and we try to make that work-life balance. But you in the Army then, it was about saving lives, right? But then, you know, fast forward to the PRC, it is about saving lives. And so, you know, I, I look at that and that makes you kind of a, a great fit for, for this right. role and for this pandemic response committee. So do you compare any life-death experiences to any life-death experiences that you had at the PRC that you kind of already touched on a bit? Yeah. You know, I, I think just the, the, the initial concern we had, I'll, t- I'll tell you that another humongous parallel between my work here uh, and especially in the pandemic response committee and, and my work uh, in, in my four deployments, there's a significant amount of uncertainty in everything we do. We never have a perfect picture, and that's okay. The important thing for us to focus on is understanding what, what the knowns are, what are our facts, right, in our analysis, and then what are our assumptions, but, you know, develop some assumptions, and, and the definition of an assumption was something that had a reasonable chance to be true, and then applying some assets towards validating that assumption. We used to say we wanted to confirm uh, or deny an assumption, because even if you had an assumption and you denied its validity, well, then you still found something out, right? You still found out another fact. We had a lot more questions than answers when we started the Pandemic Response Committee. And, we, and, and the environment, if we remember back to, uh, to March, April, May, the question in everybody's mind was, how many days will it be before we go back to the office? Then how many weeks, right? And then how many months? And then, you know, the, the time frame continued to move as our understanding of the, in, of the environment, which was not static. The environment was constantly changing with us, and now we're we're in the throes of the Delta variant and the and, and other variants that uh, that we're that we're facing and dealing with and keeping it back. And and when you get deployed, right? There's I don't know a ton about it, right? But you're typically deployed for a set amount of time, so that you know you and your family all kind of know. All right, Kevin's coming home in 
nine months, 12 months, right? Where the pandemic, it was 14 <laughs> days, kind of weeks, months, you said there's, there's no end in sight. Um, yeah. Is that like an accurate comparison? Yeah. So I, I will tell you that pre 9-11 deployments were scheduled, right? Because they were to Bosnia, they were to uh, Egypt, they were to Kuwait. The deployments uh, had set time frames, six, six months, maybe nine months. The unit that I was in that deployed to Bosnia in 1997, the 1st Infantry Division, and our unit was out of, of Bomber, Germany, we were supposed to go for six. There was a challenge getting the, the replacement unit in, uh, so we stayed for nine. So there, there was a little tweak there, but still was some predictability. Yeah. Uh, after 2001, that predictability was lessened significantly. You know, the, the windows spread out to 15-month deployments. The initial folks that deployed right after 9-11 to Central Asia, so to Uzbekistan and, and Afghanistan, did six months. Some didn't. Some thought they were going for six. My unit thought we were going for six. Actually, we were told, you're going to an unknown location for an undetermined period of time. After a certain amount of months, we were told, it looks like it might be six months for you. Hang your hat on that. It ended up being nine but there's an end state, right? I think, you know, Houston, your, your point was there's a mark on the wall. It might move, but there's a mark because it takes a lot of logistics to move a unit halfway around the world. And here, there's no cargo plane coming to pick us up and fly us back home. I would love for a cargo plane to come and take me <laughs> to a, an island somewhere south. But did you say there's one more example I think that we're missing yeah. um, before we moved on? One predates my military experience, and it's probably the most important one. And I was a toddler, a little boy crying about something. One of my friends did something. I was really upset and, and just telling my, you know, my dad asked me why I was so upset. And, uh, you know, I said, well, such and such did something. And he said, well, you know, that's, that's life. And I said, but dad, that's not fair. And I just kept saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, thinking that there's going to be some courtship of Eddie's father or Brady Bunch moment where dad will take me over to talk to some other dad or some other kid, you know, and, and get this all sorted out with the discussion. And, and that's just not how life is. Like sometimes it's just not fair. But the other piece that the, that, that taught me is life's not fair and you are someplace that's great like this firm. So you need to appreciate that because there's somebody else that could probably do my job just as good as I could or better, and they're not here. For whatever reason, they didn't get this opportunity. So it is then my obligation to do everything I can to earn the privilege to lead folks, uh, both in the United States Army and especially here uh, in teams within transformation delivery and across the different business lines that I get to touch, and to do the best job that I can for, for our team members, for our leaders, and for our clients. I think you're absolutely right. Um a perspective that's uh, worth having. Kevin, I, I want to bring full circle now. So you rolled off the PRC. What's next for you? So you, yeah. you rolled off in July. You've been off for two or three months now. What, what's next steps for you? I was very fortunate. I got to roll right onto an external engagement with, uh, uh, with the state whose Department of Health and Human Services uh, requires our assistance. We've got a couple of other efforts that are going on in that arena, and, and it was shared with us last week during a uh, a face-to-face -face, uh, workshop uh, out of our Tyson's Corner office that, that our government work is really important to the firm and that this work in, uh, in health and governmental services is a big focus area. Uh, there's a funding, a national funding stream that's, that's tied towards funding and assisting states in their Medicaid operations. 
Um, and, and our efforts to develop software as a service uh, is a humongous growth opportunity. There are 50 states and, and at least four territories that we know of, each one with a, a different Medicaid need. And it sounds like that, you know, the end result, they'll be able to help a lot of people, right? And getting efficient care and needs, right? That, that's right. You know, it's, uh, it, I, I realized a long time ago that a, a, any organization, a nation, a city, a company, anything, their history is written in their infrastructure. And the folks that are on this project are, are going to pay a big part in the medical infrastructure of the people of this entire state. And we're going to learn things that we're going to be able to apply to other states and other states and other states as hopefully we continue to, to grow this, this effort, this business line, this, you know, this practice with a small p. So I don't have this in my script, but I want to ask one other question, not related to the PRC, but I, I think it's important to get the opinion of an Army veteran like yourself. As COVID continues to happen, there's just a lot going on in the country. I am not trying to get political here, but I just want to hear what does, what does the country need to do? What does we as a people need to do to, um, you know, come out of all of this mess better than before? I recall just recently having a conversation with uh, one of the best Americans that I ever deployed with, a young man who got out after, after eight years in the United States Army, and he, and he still lives in Colorado. I chatted with him last week or, or a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, to try and help a former interpreter that uh, worked with me in Afghanistan during my second tour in 2005 to see if we could help him in some way. And, uh, and my colleague works in politics, and, and who, could we, who could we talk to? I said, you know, I don't remember politics being this divisive or people just generally being this uncivil to each other when I was younger. And maybe I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses, whether that's our political leaders or just people in general. And, and you know, he said, no, I don't think you're remembering it wrong. You know, I, I don't remember us being this uncivil years ago. So I, I think if we pack these things back, you know, and think about treating people with dignity and respect and, and understanding empathy, and being focused on working together, the teamwork aspect was really what that and integrity and our values really are the two big things that drove me or drove my interest in, in obtaining a job here at KPMG. But, you know, working together, seeing what, where, as Jesse Jackson said in the 1980s, we must find common ground, right? Um, that I think our, our, difference, our differences are completely outweighed. Uh, and overshadowed by our similarities. And if we realize that we're really actually trying to get towards similar items, then, uh, then maybe as a nation, as regions, as cities, and as people, we can get to something that, um, that we deserve to produce for our children. Yeah, I mean, common ground, similarities, I, I mean, I, I can agree more personally. Thank you for that um, sidebar question, Kevin. So I'm going to give you a few lightning round questions that you sure. know, give a few different ones to everybody here. They're going to be a lot more casual, so no thinking. So here we go. Kevin, at what age do you want to retire? 67. I would have thought after four deployments, I would be ready to retire. But Yeah, my, my wife's not going to let me retire at 60. <laughs> uh, favorite Chicago restaurant? Giordano's. What's your go-to drink in the morning? Water. Okay. How long can you hold your breath for? 
used to be able to hold it for two minutes. Couldn't tell you right now. I've been sitting on my butt for a year solid. Yes. Not, not a lot of PT going on. I feel you there. Uh, and what is the last song you listened to? <laughs> this is too funny. Waiting for a star to fall. It was uh, on a on a playlist on YouTube uh, on my phone this morning while I was brushing my teeth. The last one that I consciously picked was uh, Shoot to Thrill by ACDC. Big ACDC fan. <laughs> fun, fun. Kevin, thank you for coming on to the Shy Chat podcast. Uh, I learned a ton. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with you today. So thank you for joining. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm uh, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel privileged and, and honored to, to join you today, Houston. And uh, I, I hope that everybody finds this, uh, this event as fun and enjoyable to listen to as it was for me to participate in. Awesome. I can't say it enough. Thank you for your service, Kevin, and uh, be well. You too. And thank you for listening to the Shy Chat Podcast. For more information about Kevin's story or about the PRC, please send me an email, hstob at kpmg.com. And if you or someone you know has an awesome story you think we should hear about, shoot a message to Aaron Bailey, ebailey at kpmg.com. Thank you for listening. Talk to you all soon.